So I'm changing things up just a bit in an effort to make this content the most usable for you guys. Uh, here's the plan. I did my whole teaching video on marriage and divorce and remarriage, and then I was going to tackle all your questions in a massive video. But I realized if I separate this up into individual videos, it'll make these questions accessible through searching and people can find them when they need them instead of putting it in one long vid. So this is the beginning of that. I'm going to be answering, I don't know, 15 uh, questions, approximately 16. In short videos, this is the first one, and here is the first question. This question comes in from Nicole Modiotis, who says, okay, my question is this, how does the Bible define marriage? I've been with my partner for almost 12 years. I think we're married, but we haven't had a wedding. Is a wedding a man-made tradition, or is it necessary? I've been wondering this for a while and have not come across any scripture that says it is. I keep referring to Genesis 2.24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is actually a really, a really good question. Um, I think is valid for so many relationships and so many people. So I'm going to try and unpack it quickly, but hopefully very accurately and in a way that helps you guys. Uh, let me offer one thing first. I will say that a sexual relationship, even if it's outside of a marriage, it does create a union of some kind. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16 to look at this. In this passage, Paul the Apostle is giving them an awareness of how big of a deal it is for them to be joined to a prostitute or to sleep with a prostitute. But notice what he says about sleeping with a prostitute, who's obviously not your wife, he says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? And this seems to imply that the content in Genesis 2.24 about marriage, about the two becoming one, that it applies to any two people that sleep together. And I think there is a truth in that, but it's not the whole truth. This doesn't mean those people are married. It means that they have been joined, that they have connected themselves, but this is an ungodly connection and not a godly marriage. That's where I would draw the line. But let me build my case for the fact that um, sexual relations, they do create a union, but not a marriage. Not a marriage. It's actually a, a a bad union because it's outside of that that bond of marriage. First off, let me just mention that in the uh, in the scriptures, Old and New Testament, adultery does not equal polygamy, and that's what would happen if sex equaled marriage. Then adultery would be polygamy. So if a person, a man in particular, who who slept with some woman, not his not his wife, as long as she's single, boom, now he's married to her too. But the Bible definitely doesn't say that. It treats adultery like it's just adultery in every case. Um, so, so sex itself then doesn't make a marriage. Another reason would be that fornication wouldn't be a thing. Biblically speaking, you wouldn't have such a thing as, hey, sex outside or sex as a single person is wrong because it would just be marriage, right? Two teenagers decide to sleep together. Boom, they're just married now. That wouldn't even be fornication. It would just be a, a young marriage. But that's not the case in scripture. Fornication is a big deal. It's a very big issue. It's only within a marriage that then sex is okay. So in a sense, sex in addition to marriage, that's what makes the godly union. And sex outside of marriage, that's what makes the bad union. So remember that concept. In the law of the Old Testament, we actually have a verse, Exodus 22, verse 16 through 17, that helps us make this point even more clearly. It says here, if a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed, so she's not engaged to anybody, and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. Now, the first verse we'll see here in verse 16 is saying, hey, look, even though they've slept together, marriage is something secondary. Hey, you guys slept together. That was wrong. But now you need to get married. She's not betrothed. There is no breaking of a vow to someone else. So now you need to get married. But there's another option. So marriage and sex are two separate things here. 
In verse 17, it says, if her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. Now, we're not under the law, but we can learn the principles that it's teaching here. And what we get in verse 17 is the idea that the father, even though the two have slept together, the father can say, no, this is not a good match. This is the, this is a bad situation. This, this is not something I'll endorse. Uh, you guys, I don't want you getting married. And so they don't get married, even though they slept together. Do you see these ideas of sex and marriage are not the same thing? Rather, marriage is the holy place for sexual relationships. And outside of marriage, it becomes an ungodly thing, even though it is joining the two in some very real way, but not in a way of marriage. We also see Jesus in John chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. Here, Jesus is actually speaking to a woman who has had a number of marriages. But the key thing for us is that the woman, the man she's with right now, she's not married to. Look at what Jesus says. The woman answers, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. So he affirms that this is a truth about her life. She's not currently married. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. And Jesus is here exposing the sin issues of her life and revealing that he's the prophet and the Messiah and all that. But we are looking at this passage just to note the fact that the man she's sleeping with is not her husband because sex does not equal marriage. This is not a biblical view. So then this leads us to the question, like, what is the actual difference between just sex and marriage? What's the difference? What makes this a marriage? What's the thing? Well, I think what we see in scripture and what we see consistently even in our culture is that it's a covenant for life. There is not just a we're together sexually. There's a rather a we're together for life. Um, I am going to join myself to this person in a lifelong commitment, right? This is fidelity that we're speaking of. And that is a huge, important piece, essential piece of what it means to actually be married to somebody. It's meant to also be a public thing. So not only is it a lifelong commitment of fidelity between the two of you, but it's also a public thing. This involves family or community around you. It's often a ceremony because that's what comes naturally out of that, right? When you involve the public to see you making these vows, that's natural for that to become a ceremony. Although that exact ceremony is not necessary. It could be differently expressed in different, uh, in different cultures and different places. So the ceremony can be different depending on culture. What's important is that the ceremony represents that it's known by the community that these two people have made a covenant together of marriage. That's, that's what matters. That's what's missing from a, we have been sleeping together for years, but we're not married. That's what's missing is that commitment. Now you might push back and say, but Mike, Adam and Eve didn't have a ceremony. Isaac and Rebecca didn't have a ceremony, right? Rebecca just went into his tent. Adam's just like, Hey, Hey woman, you know, and then it was, then they went on with it. Um, but actually, that's not true. You haven't read the text very carefully, right? Adam and Eve did have a ceremony. God is there joining the two of them. He puts Adam to sleep. He makes Eve, you know, out of out of Adam. And then he introduces the two of them. And then Adam makes a commitment. He's like, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he's making this commitment of the two of them together. So it wasn't just that they slept together. God himself is officiating, in a sense, at this ceremony. Isaac and Rebecca, for instance, uh, Isaac's just sitting in his tent. Yeah, but but that's not the whole deal. The issue is that Abraham sends out Eliezer, his servant. This is in Genesis 24. You can read about it. Eliezer goes out and negotiates with Rebekah's representatives, uh, Laban and Bethuel. Bethuel's her uh, her dad. And so he's talking to them. Hey, we like to make this marriage work. Isaac's back here. Da, da, da. They ask Rebekah. She consents. Isaac's waiting because he's consenting as well. At least it's implied. There has been a large drawn out ceremony that is now being completed with the physical union of the couple. So they've left and joined together. And this is actually what we get in Genesis 2.24. Nicole, Genesis 2.24 is the verse you actually mentioned in your question, but I think there's a hint at more than physical union going on, even in the very first verse about marriage in the Bible. It says, therefore, a man shall leave 
his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This leaving your father and mother and holding fast to your wife is about a familial commitment. It's not just about sex. See, the, the man previously, his relationship with his parents was one of allegiance belonging to the family, just like a child belongs to a family, right? But at marriage, you leave, you, you, you don't separate from your parents in some like casting them off sense, but your allegiance is now to your spouse. Your primary allegiance and commitment is now to your wife as a husband. And so you've left and you've joined to your wife. This is, this is of a commitment. This is not just a physical relationship. So throughout the text of scripture, we have a public commitment of fidelity between the husband and the wife. And then sex is something that happens as a glorious and wonderful thing within that commitment, but it doesn't in and of itself create the commitment. So Nicole, my counsel to you or to anyone else in your similar situation is that you move forward very quickly with an actual ceremony of marriage between the two of you. I can't think of a reason not to do it. And it doesn't have to be a drawn out thing that you have to plan for nine months ahead of time. It's a glorious thing for you to get together with even just a few family and friends, whether it's at a church or even at a courthouse. And then you go and you, you make those vows and you make that commitment that you guys are married. If you wanna watch more videos like this, uh, subscribe and even check down below in the video description for a playlist on all my stuff on marriage and divorce.